Hello and welcome to another edition of Professors at Work. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. This is the weekly show at the American University of Beirut, the weekly podcast where we talk to professors about the research they're doing, what they're discovering, and what it means to the rest of us. I'm very pleased this week to have as our guest Professor Alan Shahadi, who's the Dean of the Maroon Sam'an Faculty of Engineering and Architecture. He's a tenured professor of mechanical engineering, and he and his colleagues at the Maroon Sam'an faculty have done some really pioneering work that has impacted not just Lebanon and the region, but is also contributing to uh, quality of life issues around the world, as he will explain. And much of the work that they're doing uh, focuses on uh, what's called the aerosol research lab. Now, Alan, all uh, all I know about aerosols is, is particles in the air or something like that. So explain to us, what is an aerosol research lab and why did you set this up at AUB? Uh, thank you, Rami, and thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, this, uh, the Aerosol Research Lab, it's actually a, a great time to have this interview. It's going through its 20th anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a lab that I set up uh, when I first got to AUB as an, a fresh uh, assistant professor. I had uh, just spent um, a year at Beer University, a year and a half at Beer University before I came to AUB. And while I was a, a professor of mechanical engineering there, a visiting professor, uh, my students in my thermodynamics course asked me, uh, is smoking argile or water pipe uh, as bad as smoking a cigarette? And that was kind of the beginning. You know, this we're talking 20 years ago. That was at the, the front edge of the water pipe uh, tobacco smoking pandemic that mm-hmm. uh, started in the Arab world and uh, eventually became a global uh, problem, a global phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, with their question, I said, well, you know, I'll get back to you guys tomorrow. Let me go look at the literature. I'm sure I'll find something there. My background is in combustion, by the way, which is really looking at um, things like the, the emissions from automotive vehicles and industrial burning processes. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would, you know, surely find uh, some literature on the subject and, and get back to the students. Um, I looked in the literature and found thousands of articles on uh, cigarette smoke. Mm-hmm. And literally one article that mentioned uh, any kind of testing at all on water pipe tobacco smoke that had been done in the 1960s. Um, wow. And it, wasn't, it was a very incomplete uh, analysis of water pipe tobacco smoke. So I got mm-hmm. back to them and I said, well, folks, you know, I wish I could tell you the answer to the question, but it looks like, you know, this hasn't really been investigated systematically. Why don't we do something about it? So, um, nice. yeah, so I, so the... The work, you know, my work began and, you know, I don't really have formal training in aerosols, but it, I, a closely mm-hmm. related area. Aerosols for, for your audience or for our audience are uh, systems of particles uh, suspended in a gas. Okay, so if you, think of, if you mm-hmm. think of a cloud that's in the sky, you can see it with mm-hmm. your naked eye. You see the white cloud in the blue sky. That white cloud is really con- is an aerosol, is an example of an aerosol. Mm-hmm. Um, it consists of condensed water droplets in water vapor and air surrounding them. So it's a gas plus particles and they're suspended. When wow. we say suspended, it means that they would be hanging out in the air for a long time. So a cannonball flying through the uh-huh. air wouldn't be considered an aerosol, even though the cannonball itself is a particle and the air is an air um, because it would land very quickly back on the ground. But a right. sneeze, a cough, um, uh, anything you exhale, there's thousands and millions of particles that you exhale from your breath every day. Those are particles Mm -hmm. that break off from your lungs. And that's part of why uh, disease transmission is such an issue with just people breathing on one another. 
or right. rebreathing each other's air. And right. of course, the more traditional things that people think of when they talk about aerosols, they talk about um, cigarette smoke. You can see that coming off of a cigarette or mm -hmm. the fumes that come out of a diesel engine and so on and so forth. So all of those are examples of aerosols. Mm -hmm. And again, they're, they're particles suspended in, in a gas. And those particles could be liquid they could be solid particles or they could be a mix of liquid and solid particles like what comes out of a car engine. Right. So you started uh, exploring the, um, the Ergili? So, yes. Yeah, so so um, getting back to the story, we, we went, I, I started delving into what are the methods that people use to study tobacco smoke in the past and how can we adapt those methods to studying Ergili or water pipe. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we, I began developing some standard methods, some methods for investigating them. I won't go into the methods now, but there's now something called the Beirut Protocol, which, oh, is, wow. um, which came out of the aerosol lab and is an international standard for, for uh, testing water pipe tobacco smoke, different kinds of products in water pipe tobacco smoke. So maybe before we get into the uh, details of the science, maybe you could answer a really important question that many people around the world ask, what is the pro what is the most appropriate English translation of an ergili? Is it a shisha? <laughs> is it a shisha? Is it a hubbly bubbly? Is it a water pipe? Is it a, what, what's the term that you think is best used? Well, you know, that's actually been a controversial issue in and of itself, mm. but I won't get into that now. But we, we um, most of the literature now, in the scientific literature at least, refers to it as water pipe tobacco smoking. Okay. And and they'll often say, AKA, hubbly bubbly, Isha, <laughs> um, yeah. et cetera. Huk, hookah. Uh, hookah, yeah, yeah. In the United States, they often say hookah, which is a, a Persian or Indian uh, version of it. Um, okay. But we just say water pipe tobacco smoking. So we, what's the what did you find out from your initial research? And then tell right. us when you moved on later to electronic cigarettes. But tell us about the Argili first. Sure. So, I mean, there were... You know, we did this, uh, we published a study in 2003, which took us, you know, like three years to actually get the data and everything for it. But that study in 2003 kind of kicked off the field. Um, and in that study, we found out that there are components uh, of, there are, you know, constituents of water pipe tobacco smoke that are found in uh, cigarettes and that are known to cause diseases in smokers mm -hmm. uh, from things like carbon monoxide, polyaromatic hydrocarbons, um, nitric oxide, many other different mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, toxicants in the smoke. Mm -hmm. uh, and we found that these were in levels that were ranged from less than a single cigarette for one hour smoking session to several hundred cigarettes in one hour smoking session. Wow. And of course, the media, and you're familiar with the media, they took they loved <laughs> the second part of that. Of course. And they started writing that uh, water pipe, you know, smoking water pipe for one hour is equivalent to smoking 200 cigarettes. Yeah. which is true for some constituents. It's not true for all constituents. If it was true right. across the board, of course, people would be yeah. dropping dead more quickly than they are. But um, it certainly was concerning to me. Like we, we went in thinking that we're going to find that the water in the, in the bubbler of the water pipe will be filtering a lot of the smoke. Mm -hmm. And what we found instead is that the water mainly adds humidity to the smoke. Oh my it gosh. doesn't do too much else. It, it creates a nice sensory feeling in, in people's mouths. They feel the, the drumming of the water as, it, as the bubbles go through it. But it doesn't do too much to make the smoke safer. Well, it makes a nice the, sound. Nice sound. Yeah, it makes too. a nice sound. And <laughs> that, the atmospherics, else. yeah. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. it, has, it has its place, uh, but it's certainly okay. not 
place that makes it renders the smoke safe. So we did find that it was a major, major issue. There were some things like carbon monoxide, which causes heart disease, uh, which are present, uh, you know, several hundred, you know, a hundred times more than you would find in a cigarette. And, and you find wow. that smoking a water pipe for five minutes, just five minutes, the same amount of time it takes you to consume a single cigarette. We found this out in later studies when we collaborated with people that work in clinical human lab settings. We found out that uh -huh. smoking a water pipe would get you something like 10 times the carbon monoxide in your bloodstream as smoking a single cigarette for just five minutes. So wow. it is a very significant uh, uh, toxicant source and people should take water pipe smoking uh, as a, a very risky behavior. Right. Wow. And then um, you moved on from there, your research moved on to looking at uh, air quality and um, tell us a little bit about that. And then at the end, we'll come back to how you you recently got into electronic cigarettes. But in, in between the Argili and the electronic cigarettes, um, you focused quite a f bit of work on uh, on air quality uh, in in Beirut. Absolutely, in absolutely. So um, I got interested in the field of you know. So through the water pipe, through my students at the university asking me a question, simple question, um, I got involved and interested in aerosols in general, and in particular how they relate to the environment. And that was kind of getting back to my roots. My roots really were in uh, training on how to prevent air pollution. Uh, from forming in the first place when you burn things. And my doctoral thesis was actually on um, biomass uh, oils, uh, oils produced from farming waste. And I was interested wow. always in the environment and in climate, global climate change or global warming or global chaos uh, these days. And um, and going taking going back into that through it, through the route of aerosols uh, became a core interest of mine. And I looked at um, I looked at things like uh, diesel generators in Beirut. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as you know, uh, we have a very erratic uh, electric power system. So many right. buildings, many or most buildings, rely on private diesel generators to generate the electricity. And um, we did a study in Hamra, in the near near AUB, mm -hmm. where we developed a, an instrument that could measure in real time what the air pollution levels were in relation to di particularly diesel engine air pollution levels right. and um, and the relation to the electric uh, the state of the electricity uh, at any moment in time. So what we would see is that uh, while we're monitoring 24-7 the uh, markers of diesel engine pollution, which are carcinogenic, by the way, and they mm -hmm. also cause brain damage and they cause you know, they cause wow. all kinds of uh, problems for the developing infant and for the for children and, of course, later in life with uh, lung cancer. But wow. the um, the core, the take home message was that we found that um, just for the electricity being cut off for three hours, anytime the electricity would be cut off, you would see a spike in the levels of these ambient air uh, air pollutants. And um, and you you would get an increase in ambient air pollution from a three hour outage of 40% over the whole day. So you wow. could you could cut, we could cut our exposure to carcinogenic air pollution by 40% just by fixing our electric power supply. And of course, today, the power's out far more than three hours a day, it's out yeah. for, you know, 18 hours a day. So people yeah. now are just inhaling their, you know, we're, we're swimming in diesel fumes. And, uh, and those have long-term, very serious long-term consequences, including on things like behavior, uh, sense of stress, um, you know, just your quality of life is wow. really degraded by the presence of these diesel generators, not only from the 
pollution, but also from the noise. Wow. But uh, so that, that's one example. We built we built a whole you know setup as well to look at what are the sources of air pollution in, in different kinds of engines, and we we created something that was really interesting at the lab where we were uh, simulating. Um, we, we have an, we have a, a box that we uh, generate a certain frequency of a wavelength of light uh, that simulates the sun. Mm -hmm. And so what we could do is we could we could put engine exhaust into a simulated uh, environment which has sunlight and in a few minutes examine what happens over, say, a two week period. So that would allow us to really do all kinds of what if scenarios right. on uh, air pollution policies. Wow. You ended up, uh, I believe, at some point with a whole air quality observatory, right? That's right. So that that was always a, a dream of ours. And. Um, we, you know, when I became dean of the Manu Saman faculty, I had a, I had a little bit more authority than I had before. Yes. And uh, what we did is we we said that a good public service that we could do is uh, to eventually provide uh, air quality forecasting for um, for Beirut citizens. So, like you'd wow. like to know if you're going to go out for a jog or if you're going to be outside uh, tomorrow, what's the likely air pollution going to? What is the air, air pollution forecast going to look like? So to do that, uh, to do that well. We knew that we needed to have a lot of uh, data, actual measurements, so that we can compare models to um, to real life air pollution levels. And we created an observatory it's available on the uh, the Marun Saman Faculty of Engineering and Architecture's homepage. Anyone can look it up mm -hmm. uh, at any moment of time. You can look up what the current air pollution levels are and how do they compare to international standards. Wow. And that data is being fed now into a model that's being developed by Professor Isam Laiz in the mechanical engineering department, which will, which is assimilating that data and, and beginning to produce uh, predictions of air pollution patterns uh, in the following day. Oh, wow. So that's available for anyone to see. And in fact, I mean, we, we got tons of traffic on our website. Uh, it was interesting right after the Beirut port explosion because people began talking in the media um, about uh, the potential effects of the of the port blast on people's exposure to air pollutants, and there was a you know there was quite a bit of uh, fear generated among the general public about that, and so we um, we got a lot of traffic about that. We got a lot of questions, and uh, we had to eventually issue a press release, kind of that just said, "Folks, yes, there was indeed some. Uh, there was a big blast of ammonium nitrate." The uh, plume uh, that was generated that was visible to the naked eye by everyone around wow. that dispersed quickly, and there's not any uh, immediate threat. There's nothing we can measure in the air today that's any different than before the blast. Um, it probably, you know, anyone that was in the pathway of the plume for sure got exposed to something, but wow. it's not hanging around, and people don't need to flee the city because they're afraid of uh, ammonium nitrate particles in the air. Um, and so that was an important, you know, we, we just wanted to give people a sense that they don't need to flee. They can deal with the problems that they're facing. But of course, you know, from debris, um, you know, demolition waste and so on, when that gets stirred around, there could be uh, additional dust in the air and they should need to, they would need to take precautions for that. But certainly so, not the kind of thing we saw, which were mothers calling and saying, we need to get our babies out of Beirut. Um, yeah for the next few weeks because of the air pollution that's generated by the blast. So that, that was, you know, we, I think we, we did some good in, in putting people's fears at ease. Oh, of course. So to do this kind of work, did you have to have monitoring points all over the city? 
we have done a lot of that kind of work in the past. We, we uh, Professor uh, Najat Saliba and I, uh, in collaboration with uh, researchers at uh, the at USG, uh, we had a national air quality uh, unit that was sponsored by the National Council for Scientific Research. Uh -huh. And in that work, uh, there were uh, many different locations within the city that we, we installed uh, or the team installed uh, different kinds of air pollution monitoring. And we were able to, to see patterns like which parts of Beirut are suffering the most from air pollution and which parts are suffering the least. And there are definitely some geographic uh, patterns to the air pollution in Beirut. Wow. So let me ask you one more question about research in terms of the work. Uh, I want to ask about electronic cigarettes, which you're looking at now. And we'll end with thoughts from you about what happens to all this knowledge that you generate? How does it get used in new policies, new regulations, new laws? Does it impact the private sector? Does it impact people in other countries? So the 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 impact of the knowledge that you generate is something that uh, is very important to, to analyze. And I'm sure you can give us some insights on that. But for, to, tell us first about the electronic cigarettes, which are a big craze, especially with young people. Uh, sure. We, we have been, uh, I would say, for the past 10 years, we work closely with collaborators uh, around the world, but in particular um, with Dr. Tom Eisenberg's lab at Virginia Commonwealth University. Uh, we're the uh, physical and uh, physical sciences and technology arm of something called the Center for the Study of Tobacco Products. And mm -hmm. that Center for the Study of Tobacco Products is one of the, um, I forgot now, 12 um, TCORs. Uh, so these are tobacco centers of regulatory science mm -hmm. uh, that are funded by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration through the National Institutes of Health. Mm -hmm. So these are 12 centers of excellence located in the world, around the world. And their purpose is to really look at um, the science of how to regulate tobacco products. Yeah. And the focus of our group has been electronic cigarettes. I mean, that's really what we've been working on for the past 10 years. Wow. We developed um, all kinds of um, mathematical models to be able to predict uh, the toxic and emissions from electronic cigarettes and what, what people's exposure would be from different kinds of technologies. And that would help FDA do rapid screenings of products because there are literally thousands of products coming yeah. out all the time. It's an extremely innovative space where uh, small firms and large firms from the big bad boys in, in mm. tobacco, uh, like the, you know, uh, Altria and Philip Morris and others are involved in this, right. but so are mom and pop uh, stores uh, in any U.S. city or any city in China or elsewhere. So yeah. what's happening is that the market is getting flooded with products faster than FDA can even regulate them. Wow. And what our job has been, really what we've been looking at is how to, how to get ahead of the game. How can we do predictive analytics? How can we understand the core physics and chemistry underlying uh, these products and, and then enable uh, FDA to do some shortcuts to be able to regulate large swaths of the marketplace right. uh, effectively and rapidly? And that's really been the, mm -hmm. the focus of our work for the past 10 years. And I can tell you that um, electronic cigarettes are highly, can be highly addictive products. Yeah. Um, they can lead people to uh, people that were nicotine naive previously. So especially mm -hmm. youth who might think it's cool. Yeah. Uh, it looks high tech. It, it's uh, supposed to be just vapor. So people think when they hear vapor, they think it means water vapor, but actually it doesn't mean only water vapor. There is a soup of chemicals uh, in that 
um, in the aerosol that's generated by electronic cigarettes. And sometimes people can get a lot more nicotine than they would get from a tobacco cigarette, a combustible cigarette, wow. uh, from an electronic cigarette. And uh, the the really, you know, the probably among the most problematic uh, aspects of electronic cigarettes is their stealthiness. So many have been uh, made by manufacturers so that you can keep it in your pocket at all times and you can quickly take a puff right before you get in an elevator uh -huh. while you're at your desk while you're at school and the teacher has uh her or his back turned to the students uh when students go to the bathroom they take it with them it's in their pocket it looks like a usb drive in many cases so right. the upsurge in addiction especially among youth but not only among youth is extremely alarming wow. and uh it is something that uh, people need to take very seriously because a lot of even if, even if, and it's not the case, even if uh, electronic cigarette aerosols were harmless except for the nicotine, um, they do uh, promote to, uh, nicotine usage and mm. are a pathway for people uh, getting on more dangerous, uh, you know, combustible cigarettes, for example. Right. Um, you know, and they, they have had a lot of promise, but they've had a lot more peril associated with them. And, um, and tobacco companies that produce these electronic cigarettes, they don't have, they, they may say that we're interested in helping people quit mm -hmm. uh, tobacco cigarettes, but they have no intention of them quitting nicotine addiction. And right. now you're seeing people saying things like, I had to take up cigarette smoking so I could quit my addiction to the electronic cigarette. And wow. that's, you know, that's, yeah. so how it plays out in the ecosystem of uh, tobacco use is an extremely important question. And that's among the things we're doing in, in the lab. Wow. Well, that's quite an impressive overview of, of only some of the projects that you've worked on in terms of the science that you are uh, generating. So where does uh, our last uh, two minutes, where does this uh, all lead in terms of policymakers, whether they're government policymakers, international uh, UN agencies, uh, local uh, city standards uh, that want to try to protect people's lives and reduce the harm that can happen from all of these different sources that you talked about? Yeah, um, it's a great question, Rami. And I think um, our lab has been very successful in receiving funding to do this kind of research precisely because it produces relevant, uh, actionable uh, policies that people and governments can take. Well, in Lebanon, we have, of course, the tobacco control law that that uh, was signed by parliament and put into place, which is no longer being enforced properly, but um, is on the books. And it's uh, what is being enforced are things like um, bans on tobacco advertising in the street, uh, mm -hmm. unlike uh, the way it used to be. Mm -hmm. um, internationally, uh, we're called on constant or regularly, I shouldn't say constantly, we're called on regularly by municipal uh, uh, um, municipal and larger regional government entities who are interested in regulating things like water pipe tobacco smoking. We help Toronto, the city of Toronto, the city of New York. Mm -hmm. um, our work has been used in, uh, in new, several other countries on the question of how do you protect non-smokers um, when right. an establishment allowed smoking. And our answer, of course, is that you can't protect non-smokers in an establishment allowing smoking. You have to ban the smoking altogether. Right. And when that gets challenged in court, my lab gets called upon to produce scientific evidence that shows what's the harm of secondhand smoke from mm -hmm. things like uh, water pipe or electronic cigarettes. So um, oh. it's used, it's called on. 
And in 2005, uh, the, the World Health Organization issued a, an international advisory, its first international advisory on water pipe tobacco smoking and updated it again in 2015. And it, the 2005 advisory was largely essentially based 100% on work that was done at AUB on the water pipe, uh, on water pipe tobacco smoke toxicant emissions. Um, wow, and well. so we're very proud of that work. And I think AUB has had an outsized impact in the world of tobacco control, uh, part, you know, partly as a result of the aerosol research lab and other labs that are at AUB uh, working in collaboration with us. So right. plenty well, of uh, credit yeah. should go to Professor Saliba, Najat Saliba, whose yeah. analytical chemistry work uh, has been essential for helping us identify certain molecules in the smoke, mm -hmm. um, as well as people like Marwan Saban in the medical school who have been looking at uh, the impact of uh, water pipe and electronic cigarette smoke on cells. Mm. And we've done a lot of work in between uh, going from cells all the way to the population level. Wow, and so you've had people... Like Riemann and Ash and, and health science, of course, of health course. science dealing with the trying to you know reach the policymakers and help uh, uh, regulatory agencies take this knowledge and turn it into laws. Riemann and Ash has been a, a, a real champion of turning it into a, into the you know tobacco control law that we have in Lebanon. Uh -huh. um, Abla Sibai has been important. Her work has uh -huh. been important. Monique Shaya, uh -huh. Rima Afifi, yeah, it's uh, amazing. You know, the, the, the Faculty of Health Sciences has been an amazing powerhouse of research in this domain as well. Uh, yeah. Hats off to them. Well, it's, for me, this has been one of the thrills of working at AUV uh, over these many years to interact with people like you and them and the constant new, innovative, important work being done that ultimately helps people live longer and live a better life if there is a competent government to uh, take knowledge and turn it into policy, which uh, there are in some countries and there isn't in some countries. So, but uh, we've run out of time. Um, our guest has been uh, Professor Alan Shadi. He's the uh, Dean of the Maron Siman Faculty of Engineering and Architecture at AUB. Um, Alan, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rami. Thank you. You bet. And thank you for our audience for tuning in. This is Rami Khouri, your host. Professors at Work is our weekly podcast where AUB scholars talk about the research they're doing, what they're finding, and how it makes uh, for a better world. Thanks for being with us. Join us again next week. Bye for now.